Let's rock and roll. I'll bring the roll. Eh? 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 It took a little bit. All right. Where are the clappers? They're right here. Tiny hands. All right. So, you know what? We're going to kick it off. Let's go back to page 25. Oh, man. We should have left a bookmark in there. And so what we're going to do is we're going to go up a paragraph, and we're going to start with the paragraph on page 25 that says, The Great Fact. I'm going to wait for the paper to stop rustling, and I'm going to dive in. It says, The Great Fact is just this and nothing less, that we have had deep and effective spiritual experiences. I needed one of those. That's what it said on page 44. I might be suffering from an illness which only a spiritual experience will conquer. And it is the great fact. It's not the maybe theory or here's hoping or keep coming back and it could happen to you. No, the great fact is just this and nothing less, nothing less than this that we have. And that is our experience today. Again, if you're here and you have not had this fact occur in your life today. Our job is to help you have it, so stick around and we will. It says, which have revolutionized our whole attitude toward life, toward our fellows, and towards God's universe. A change of heart, a change of mind, that is what I need to see the world and to show up to life in a radically changed way. The central fact, not maybe theory, not who here's hoping, but the central fact of our lives today is the absolute certainty. They're not mincing words. Absolute certainty that our Creator has entered into our hearts and lives in a way which is indeed miraculous. And if you're here on Thursday, you know there's two ways to read that, entered into our hearts and lives, or entered into our hearts and lives, as in one of the places in which God resides is within my heart, in a way that is indeed miraculous. He has commenced to accomplish those things for us which we could never do by ourselves. What is that that I could never do by myself? Permanent, <coughs> consented sobriety. I could never do that by myself, but God does that for me. And what we're going to roll right into is step two. So let's go back to page 44. We're not going to stay there very long, but let's pop over to page 44. And so the, ta the, the chapter is entitled We Agnostics. And so step two is all about believing that there could be a power that is greater than me. In fact, step two says, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. So if I break step two down, I break it down into two parts. Came to believe that a power, not in a power, that a power, and then could restore me to sanity. So what I'm believing is that there is a power, and what I'm believing is that that power just might be more powerful than my alcoholism. That's what I'm believing. Do I believe that that solution that I just read, that great fact that has occurred in my life and the lives of many in this room, do I believe that I'm not so special that that great fact could not be my great fact? That's what I'm asking. That's what step two is asking. Now, the, the chapter is we agnostics. And I, I want to point that out because I think that's interesting. You'll notice we got a couple of two chapters. You know, we got two wives. We got the family afterward. That's for the family. For you guys, right? We've got two employers. Right? But it says we agnostics. See, when I came to Alcoholics Anonymous, I was agnostic and I didn't know. And so the word agnostic in a, is in our modern language, we kind of describe it as kind of a fence sitter. I be, might believe, I might not believe, I'm a little agnostic. That's what it means in our modern language. And in our modern connotation, an somebody who is an atheist is somebody who has faith. They have faith that there is no God. 
But what I want to point out is we agnostics, what I bring to Alcoholics Anonymous, I, I always have some agnosticism. And the word agnostic, its roots are Greek in origin. And the, the word agnostic, egg in Greek, means without. And gnosis means knowledge. And I want to point out that gnosis, what we're not talking about is the good old alcoholic, yeah, yeah, I know, yeah, yeah, no, I know. No, 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 I know. No, but I know. I'm sure none of the, any of us have ever done that with our sponsors. Yeah, yeah, I know, right? That head knowing. No, the word gnosis, when we refer to texts that are Gnostic in nature, we're talking about that deep level heart knowing. So the truth is, when I come to the second step and when I come to Alcoholics Anonymous, it does not matter my faith, it does not matter my belief, but I do not have that deep level heart knowing of God. And if I am step two and it's like, girl, I don't have that. I don't know what God is. I don't know what God's supposed to look like me neither. I didn't have that either. We're not expected to know God at step two. Now, one of the things I want to point out, I won't be going through the history unless people ask me to go through the history because I'm easily distracted by things that excite me. Um, I should not tell you how to derail this study, um, but that is how. Uh, don't talk about flags or birds. We'll be, we'll be off on a tangent. Um, but... <laughs> right? Uh, so in, in, in AA, well, actually, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take it. No, I'm going to, so uh, in AA history, if you look at this, that long card that I have, there's a gentleman by the name of Roland Hazard. Now, you, let's not bounce around unless you're really good at finding pages in your book. On page 26, there was a gentleman by the name of Roland Hazard, and he was a hopeless drunk like me. And he tried everything that he could try. He threw money at it. He threw everything at his alcoholism. He couldn't stay sober. He then goes to see the second best psychiatrist in the world, Dr. Carl Jung. He wanted to see Sigmund Freud, and his spiritual experience began with him not getting what he wanted. And isn't that always where spiritual experience begins? And he has to settle for the second best psychiatrist in the world. And he works with Carl Jung one-on-one for a year. And after that year of intensive, intensive psychotherapy, he drinks again. Anyone ever drank after therapy? Yeah. Oh, you guys, yeah. <laughs> yeah, before. The therapists, they don't like that when you show up hammered. They do not. Anywho. Uh, so he, he got drunk and he goes back and he says, like, it's, what is wrong with me? He's like, I'm sorry I misdiagnosed you. You're an alcoholic. And I've never seen anyone recover where that state of mind existed to the extent that it does in you. And he says, is there no exception? Because he felt the gates of hell closing on him with a clang. Is there no exception? And he says, yes. Exceptions to cases such as yours have been occurring since early times. Here and there, once in a while, alcoholics have had what are called vital spiritual experiences. And he says, to me, these occurrences are phenomena. What that means is we can't explain it, we can't create it. And they appear to be in the nature of huge emotional displacements and rearrangements. Ideas, emotions, and attitudes which were once the guiding forces of the lives of these men are suddenly, it doesn't take long to get well, suddenly cast aside and a completely new set of conceptions began to dominate them. And he was like, I was trying to give this to you, but I've never been successful with an alcoholic of your description. And that is where we in Alcoholics Anonymous learned of what our solution is. Our solution being that vital spiritual experience, that life given, connected with a power greater than ourselves. And there's this famous interview with, with Dr. Carl Jung. It's this BBC interview, and they're asking him a bunch of questions. And one of the questions they ask, they ask him is, so when you were growing up, did you, did you believe in God? And he's like, yeah. Yeah, growing up, I, I believed in God. I said, do you, do you believe now? 
And he says, no. And there's a pause. And he says, I've got no need for belief. And there's another pause. And he says, I know. And see, in step 11, what we're seeking to do is to improve our conscious contact with God. See, the word conscious is Latin in origin. This is just one of those coincidences that are they, right? Con in Latin means with. And the shus or the sire means knowing. So in step two, I come and I am without knowing of this power. I'm just barely scraping the barrel of belief. But as the result of these 12 steps, I experience that with knowing, that deep level heart knowing. And for me, I I really do, I approach God in a relational way, the God of my understanding in a relational way. Some of you guys are married, some of you guys are in relationship, and you might know that if you do not talk to your spouse for a while, you're not gonna feel very connected. If you do not listen to your spouse for a while, you're not gonna feel very connected. If I do not do things with my spouse or with my partner, we're not gonna feel very connected. So it's step two, I'm not connected. I've got some actions to take to clear away the stuff in me that is blocking me from that power which is God. And so let's pop over to page 45, very bottom paragraph. Because why, like so many people, I came to AA with prejudice. And prejudice is really just to prejudge an experience I've never had, to have an old idea about something I do not know. It says, we know how he feels. We have shared his honest doubt and prejudice. Some of us have been violently anti-religious. To others, the word God brought up a particular idea of him with, with which somebody had tried to impress them during childhood. Are these some of my barriers? Right? Do I share doubt? Do I share these old ideas that I have about God? Do I think of this God that it was forced on me as a kid? Do I think of this oppressive God that certain people believe in? And I'm like, man, I don't want that. It says, or it says perhaps we rejected this particular conception because it seemed inadequate. Did I have a bit of a Santa Claus God? You know, a God that bearded a guy in the sky, and it's like, I can't believe in that. And I reject that idea. It says we were bought... We rejected that, uh, uh, we reje- with that rejection, we imagined we had abandoned the God idea entirely. We were bothered with the thought that faith and dependence on upon a power, capital P, power greater than ourselves, was somewhat weak, even cowardly. I, when I came here, I wanted to look cool. Now, you guys knew what I was doing behind dumpsters. Again, never been cool, and now I have a real affinity for highlighters, so at no point did I approach cool. Uh, <laughs> But I, I wanted to be cool, and that God word, that wasn't cool, because I can't, I know what you mean when you use that word, and I don't like it. Now, I also want to point out, I'm not going to ask you. I'm new to Alcoholics Anonymous. I'm not going to have a conversation with you. You might ask me a question that I do not have the answer to. Like, how's it going? You know what I mean? Or do you have a sponsor? You know what I mean? Like, I am not engaging with conversation, so I'm going to take the idea that I believe to be true, and I'm going to run with that. An example of prejudice. And so when I got here, I started with, I was like, oh, I don't like that word, girl, but I started with the word higher power, because that was kind of the cool word when I got sober, which was a little while ago. I think there's a different cool word now, but it's like higher power, that's hip, slick, and cool. You might realize, it's like two words. It's a lot of syllables, you know what I mean? It's a lot. You know what I started to do? I started to use the word God out of convenience. It's three letters, it's one syllable, it's one word. And I want you to know, if some of you guys are like, she is young. Is, her, is she wearing a superhero shirt? Yes. Uh, 
You know, like, is she, is she 12? Like, I, I know what you're thinking, right? She's young. But um, what we're talking about is this idea that I can grow in effectiveness and understanding. What we're talking about is I'm just starting with a starting place, right? And when I got here, a lot has changed since I got here in my life and, and around me. And, and all I needed to do was, was, like, the truth of the matter is all I needed to believe was that you believed. All I needed to believe that you guys had a power that I did not have. All I needed to do was access that power through the actions of the 12 steps. That's all I, the bar is so low. It's wheelchair accessible, the bar really. You know what I mean? And, and so, and I had, I had those barriers. And so I started to use the word God out of convenience, out of a, a it's, effect, it's efficient, right? I, like I came here young, I was efficient. I burned my life to the ground efficiently. But the dumpster was on fire quite quickly in my life. You know what I mean? Efficient. I'm an efficient drunk. I like to do things efficiently. And so despite coming here young, efficient. And so I started to use the word God purely out of efficiency. And I started to take that word to prayer. I started to take that word to meditation. And what happened for me is that word began to mean. Not what I assumed that you meant when you used that word. That word began to mean what I had experienced as the result of these 12 steps in Alcoholics Anonymous. See, this is not an intellectual exercise here in AA. This is an experience. It is a transformational process as a result of action, which I know is a pain in the butt because it means it's a lot of work. But I am after an experience. And when it then goes on on page 46, it says, we looked upon this world of warring individuals, warring theological systems, and inexplicable calamity. A calamity is the pain, is the trauma, is the loss. That is calamity. It says with deep skepticism. That question of if there is a God, why do bad things happen? And I came with that. And I spoke about that a little on Thursday and about how my why was answered. See, what I did was I took col column one, resentments, God. Column two, why? And I started to take God through those columns and I started to, I started to get some peace and some relief and some peace and serenity. I shared that with another human being. And I learned I wasn't alone in the things that I did. I learned that I wasn't alone in the things that had happened to me. I go out and I make amends and that guilt and shame starts to fall. I begin to have an experience with this thing. And I was speaking about this on Thursday. It is when I sit down with another alcoholic. That's when that why did those things happen to me get answered. So I get to sit down with you. And I get to say, yes, I drank like that. Yes, I felt like that. Yeah, I did that thing too. I didn't want to tell anybody about that either. I went through that, I felt like that. And here's how I got freedom from it. I'm not gonna make us bounce around to page 124, but on page 124 it talks about how the dark past becomes the principal asset. And I grow by my willingness to face and rectify errors and convert them into assets. And in God's hands, in God's hands, the worst things about me, the worst things I've ever done, the depth of the shame and the guilt and the things that happened to me are gifts and blessings that I get to use to help another human being. And I could talk about it freely if it were appropriate to do so. That is the freedom that's on offer. But that was a barrier that I had, a barrier that I thought I had to the second step when I got here. And it says, we looked askance, that means skeptically, at many individuals who claim to be godly. Have we seen people do some crummy thing, even if it's just the judgy church lady, you know, that lived down the hall, you know, just, oh, she, there she is, right? But have we seen people 
be human? And have we seen people be hypocrites? Have we seen people who say they believe in God, maybe in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous and do things that maybe they ought not do? And I'm like, if there is a God, why aren't they living up to that ideal, right? These are the barriers to God that I thought I had. And it says, and how could a capital S, capital B, a supreme being have anything to do with it all? And who could comprehend a capital S, capital B, supreme being anyhow? <laughs> And whenever we see any capitalizations, what that means, it's a synonym that you can use for God. See, higher power, that was too long. Supreme being, that's still two words. I'm not going to use it. But if you do not like that word God, feel free to use any of those synonyms that we're using. That's what we're talking about, capital P, power. I need to access power because as an alcoholic, I am without power. Power. That's what's the name of the game here, right? And so, yeah, use supreme being. Use, use whatever works for you. And so what I want you to know is I will use that word God because I got a time limit and you guys might have figured out I go on tangents and I don't do good with time limits, you know? Uh, so, because that's one word, it's one syllable, I'll waste all my time trying to say higher power. So when I use that word God, what I want you to know is I mean, and I really mean, the conception of a power greater than yourself that you are the most open to. That is what I mean when I use that word God. And it says, and who could comprehend it? Capital S, capital E, supreme being anyhow. I don't need to know it, I don't need to understand it, I don't need to define it, I don't need to describe it in the second step. I just need to believe, does it exist? And it says, yet in other moments we found ourselves thinking, when enchanted by a starlit night, who then made all this? There was a feeling of awe and wonder, but it was fleeting and soon lost. I'm, I'm blessed to live like a, just a short drive away from the Rocky Mountains, some of the most beautiful like, landscape on earth. When you're out in the mountains, it's, it's hard to deny that presence of something bigger than you. And so what opens me up to the belief in a power greater than myself but experience? See, even in step two, when I'm just starting with belief, this is not an intellectual exercise. I cannot think my way to God. I have to act my way through the actions of the 12 steps, open myself up to experience. That's what this is. So let's go across the page on page 47. It's that middle paragraph. This is going to be step two, part one. We, need to, we needed to ask ourselves but one short question. Step two, part one. Do I now believe, am I, or am I even willing to believe, that there is a power, capital B, power greater than myself? Now keep in mind, step one, alcoholism is a power greater than myself. But can I believe? And so I'll ask. Can you guys believe? Do you now believe or are you even willing? You don't have to have belief. Are you even willing to believe that somebody like me didn't fly all this way to lie to you about the power that works in my life? Can you believe that? That I have better things to do? I don't really. I have a lot of time. Uh, <laughs> but then maybe somebody like me might have better things to do. Can we believe that? What do we think? Yes. That I can assure you with emphasis that you are on your way. With emphasis. I know we're in, a, in the neighborhood area of Galt, and there's a lot of those fancy churches, right? Yeah, fancy. <laughs> and so when it says it has been repeatedly proven among us that among, upon this simple cornerstone, a wonderfully effective, effective, I need something that is effective, spiritual structure can be built. So that cornerstone is that stone that is symbolically laid, and upon that symbol, the church is built where that building is built. And what we can build in our spiritual life, starting with this belief, maybe there could be a power greater than myself, we can build one of those fancy galt churches, or a cathedral, or the most amazing mosque, 
whatever comes to mind for you, that most amazing spiritually, spiritual structure. We haven't built it yet, but we build it through our actions. We don't know God yet, but we build it through our actions. That's step two, part one. And so in the, for the sake of time, let's pop over to page 53. And we're going to get to step two, part two. And it's the middle paragraph where it says, when we became alcoholics crushed by a self-imposed crisis, we could not postpone or evade. Root of it to call us out like that. How'd they know? Self-imposed, rude, right? We had to fearly fa fearlessly face the proposition that God is everything or else God is nothing. God either is or he isn't. What is our choice to be? Now, if you're here and you're like, man, girl, who, who invited her? That's a, that's a big choice or, again, group conscious decision. Um, but who invited? Like, that's a, what are you talking about? Let's reconcile that question. Let's reconcile it. So step two, part two, can I believe that that power is more powerful than my alcoholism? Can I believe that that power can relieve for me that mental obsession? Can I believe that maybe if I take these actions these other drunks took, that I could experience that spiritual awakening that they were talking about? That I could experience those step 10 promises? Can I believe that? Do we believe that? Yes. Yeah. But then it asks us the question, so that's how we reconcile. That's step two. But it asks a question. And when it asks a question, I believe it wants an answer. And so it asks God, is everything or else God is nothing? God either is or he is. It wasn't my choice to be. And so what I'll ask is, if, have, have you today had any moments of the presence of God? Have you had any moments by seconds and inches, by seconds and inches, you should not be alive today? Have you had by seconds and inches, you should not be sober today? Have you had by seconds and inches not be here? Have you had any moment, any experience of God in your life, any moment of connectedness, any moment of serendipity, any moment? Or do you believe even that I have better things to do than to lie to you about mine? And if we can say yes to any of that, then we are forced to accept that God is everything because God cannot be nothing, God is. And if God is, God is everything and that is what we're doing with the second step. Can I believe that there's a power greater than myself that I don't know, that I barely believe in, that I don't understand and I'm, why did they invite her, you know what I mean? Like all of that and that power could allow me to live sane and free from alcohol. Can I believe that? That is step two. Now let's rock and roll into the third step because, you know, we got a time limit. And I, I'm going to do something weird. I'm going to pop us back to page 25. I, I mean, and I think this will be the last time I'm going to 25. So don't put a bookmark in now, you know. Um, but very top of page 25. Very top of page 25. It says, in italics, there is. See, it depends on the room that I'm in, what I need to emphasize. See, there's times where I need to emphasize there is a solution. We have one solution, a singular solution, and thank God for that because we know it works. There's, there's that star that we can drive towards. You know what? There's that beacon I can lean towards. There is a destination, a goal that I can get. I know what I need to do and how I need to get there. But sometimes it is as equally and if not more so important for me to emphasize there is. There is a solution. Again, if I have been in and out of this thing for years, if I am newly sober and, I, and you know, my sponsor or somebody invited me to this stupid meeting, and I'm like, I don't know why I'm here, and I don't know if this whole a, &A thing could work for me, right? 
or if I've been here a while and the magic's gone and I got problems. You know, I got problems that I don't think this outfit could help with. What I want you to know is there is, there is a solution. And it says almost none of us liked the self-searching, the leveling of our pride, the confession of shortcomings which the process requires for its successful consummation. If you don't know what that means, almost none of us thought the steps were a good idea. Almost none of us liked them. Almost none of us were like, oh boy, I already had my, my you know, pen to paper for my inventory already. Almost none of us liked them. And that is good news and that is bad news. See, the good news is that liking the steps is not a prerequisite for doing them. Thinking that they can work for me is not a prerequisite for doing them. Thinking I am unworthy or unworthy enough that they couldn't work for me, not a prerequisite for doing them. What I think, what I feel, what I believe, what I, what I may or may not understand about the steps is not a prerequisite for doing them. It does not matter how I feel. It does not matter what I think. What matters is what I do. That's the bad news. <laughs> my, my sponsees know that I'm big on, that's okay, do it anyway. Right? I hear you. I acknowledge. Yeah, you're scared. You don't want to. That's okay. Do it anyway. And that's what we're at. And what a gift. Right? Because if I had to think the steps were a good idea, if I had to understand the steps, if I had to comprehend the steps, if I had to agree with the steps, before I took the steps, I, went, I wasn't going to get there. Have you seen the steps? You know what I mean? Like, no. I can take the steps and not know. I can take the actions and build faith. And so it says, but we saw that it really worked in others. And we had come to believe in the hopelessness and futility of life as we had been living it. And see, that's the thing. What gets me to make that decision to work these steps? There's two things in my experience. One, that I've come to the end of myself. I've come to the end of the things that I could try to put between me and the first drink and me and me and none of it worked. I've come to the end of my good ideas. I've come to the end of my plans. I've come to the end of it. I got nothing else and I'm willing to do this thing that this weirdo in a church basement tells me to do with this little blue book. I'm willing to try that. And I see that it works in others. I see the light that is on in your eyes. I see the hope that's in your face. I see that you guys can look each other in the eye and you smile and you have something that I, I do not have. I see that it works for you. And again, all I need to believe is that I'm not so special it couldn't work for me. It says, when therefore we were approached by those in whom the problem had been solved. Solved. I am not cured of alcoholism, but I am recovered. Solved. That is the promise. This thing. I can live in that place of neutrality. I can live safe and protected. It says, there is nothing left for us but to pick up the simple kit of spiritual tools laid at our feet. What are those? Those are very simply the 12 steps taken out of this book. That's what I need to do. I need to pick up those tools. And it says we have been, uh, we have found much of heaven. Much of heaven. Here and now. See, in Bill's story, Bill wraps it up with, with when he talks about, we need look no further for Utopia, capital U. What he's talking about is heaven. Heaven is not an over there place. Heaven is here and now. And you can believe me on that because if you have a brain like mine, you know that hell can be here and now. I have created a hell of my own existence with my own thinking. Heaven is here and now. Where is God found here and now? It says we have found much of heaven and we have been rocketed into a fourth dimension of existence of which we have not even dreamed. Rocketed. The last time we saw the fourth dimension in this book is in Bill's story. 
and it's catapulted. What that tells us is we get to move with some velocity. It does not take long to get well. And when we talk about that fourth dimension of existence, what we're talking about is that spiritual awakening. We begin to see the world in a new way. And so when we go, like, let's, let's pop over into uh, how it works, which is really convenient because it tells us how it works. You know what I mean? It's real good we have a chapter because it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to point it out for us. All right. <laughs> and so where we're going to go is, is just real quickly on page 58. And so the third step is ultimately a decision to work these 12 steps as a way of life. That's ultimately what the third step is. And I know in Ontario, you guys sometimes read different things than we do in Alberta. Like, it's essentially the same. But in Alberta, we read how it works before every meeting. All of how it works, every meeting, one person reads all of it. And so we hear it all the time. And there's this thing that happens that I don't know if it happens to you guys, but in Alberta, it sounds, how it works starts to begin to sound like the, the Peanuts teachers. Like, I'm not listening. You know what I mean? I'm running late. Oh, they're doing how it works. I don't need to be there. You know what I mean? It's all good, right? I mean, maybe you guys are more spiritual than me. Um, but one of the things, what I want to say is when how it works starts, it says, rarely have we seen a person fail who has thoroughly followed our path. It would be rare. And we can ask, is that my experience? That it would be rare to see someone fail who has not thoroughly followed our path. What is this path? This path we see on page 59. The path is this. It is these 12 steps. And we can say we've seen people, we've had friends, loved ones, home group members go in and out. And it is not a judgment. Heck, I, I did not know what was wrong with me. But is it rare that I've seen somebody who's fully engaged in all these 12 steps go out and drink? I'll be honest with you, I've never seen that happen. I've never seen someone in the middle of sponsorship, in the middle of daily prayer, daily meditation, daily evening review. I've never seen one who has made all their amends, who has done all their, their inventory and shared it with another I've never seen them pick up again. I've never seen that happen. I've seen people who have been in that state and stopped doing the work. See, when we're talking about that mental obsession, it looks like this time will be different. It looks like nobody will ever know. But it also looks like nobody in my home group likes me. Or they're not listening to me. They invited Paige and I thought that was a bad idea. You know what I mean? It looks like prayer and meditation. That's a, I don't need to do that. Written evening review. Nobody, nobody does written evening. None of my sponsees are staying sober, right? I don't need to go to so many meetings. And it's a slow erosion away from the solution that we have until inevitably, and it doesn't happen overnight, it happens over time, inevitably that mental obsession hits again and I think this time will be different. And off I go. See, it is as insane for an alcoholic of my type to pick up the first drink as it is insane for an alcoholic of my type to not be fully engaged in the process of Alcoholics Anonymous, to not be fully engaged in these 12 steps. And one of the things I wanna point out, it says, here are the steps we took. Here are the steps we took. Not here's what we thought was a good idea for you guys to do. Here are the actions that we took. These steps are reports of actions taken. We admitted, right? And when we're talking about the we, it was originally the first 80, they rounded up, members of Alcoholics Anonymous. That's originally who it's talking about. But whenever we see the we of Alcoholics Anonymous in this book today, that we has grown. That we has grown to encompass all of us who have taken these actions and followed these directions and had this experience. These are reports of actions that we have taken. 
See, it's not, it's not a thing. Then there's nothing wrong with therapists or counselors, but don't tell me what to do. You know what I mean? I got a little bit of that authority thing. Tell me, man, I had someone one time said, Paige, you have to do a gratitude list. That's not how we phrase that with me, because I didn't for years. I didn't. And you know who suffered? It wasn't him. It was me. I was not grateful for a long time, right? You tell me I have to do something. I'm not going to, I'm going to do the opposite. Here are the steps we took. We admitted. We came to believe. Right? These are the actions we take. So in the third step, I'm making a decision to do the work necessary to have that vital spiritual experience, to live that way of life. And I don't ever want to say it's just a decision because it's kind of a big one. Also, I don't know if you guys know, when you're new in AA, sometimes people say don't make any major decisions in the first year. Third step's a big one. I'm just going to throw that out. <laughs> this is a life changing one, ain't no thing. And so that's what I'm deciding to do. I'm deciding to work these 12 steps as a way of life like my life depends on it because it does. And so one of the things I want to point out, let's pop over to page 60. I'm not going all around the book this time. We're going to keep it semi-focused, semi-focused. One of the things I want to point out is it, right after it talks in step 12, when it's like, hey, what an order, I can't go through with it. It says, the principles we have set, set down are guides to progress. We claim spiritual progress rather than spiritual perfection. And my sponsees will know that I can be a bit pedantic. I pedant. It's a defect. Uh, but this is one of those places where I think the wording matters. See, oftentimes in the rooms, we talk about, hey, it's progress, not perfection. But it's not. In the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, it says it is spiritual progress rather than spiritual perfection. What I want to focus on is how am I progressing spiritually? Because oftentimes I'll confuse the progress that I'm after. I got the job back. I got the car back. I got the relationship. My family's off my back. My health is coming back. I'm progressing. But we know from our own experience that none of that will keep me sober. How am I progressing spiritually? I, I'm seeking to grow spiritually, knowing that I will never attain spiritual perfection. How am I progressing spiritually? That is what matters. And so we go, I'm just going to skip down, being convinced we're at step three, right? Step three is that we made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to God as we understood him. Just what do we mean by that? Just what do we do? So my will and my life do not get turned over in step three. I was speaking about this on Thursday, so I'm, I'm repeating myself quite a bit, which would save time if I didn't do that, but uh, I just was reflecting on that. But in step one, I, what I realized is if I stayed in Calgary, Alberta, this is a metaphor, a geographic is not a solution, the alcoholism in here is not in here, you know what I mean? So in step one, I realized if I stay in Calgary, Alberta, I am going to drink again and I am going to die. If I stay where I'm at, a relapse is inevitable. In step two, what I'm coming to believe is Cambridge exists, right? And so, again, that's kind of been a running thing where I'm like, you got, it's not real. It's, it's a mythical place. Galt, no, not a, not a thing. No, 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 no. Like, it doesn't exist. Can you imagine if I showed up and I'm like, it's not, I'm sorry, I can't come out. It's, uh, it's a figment of your imagination. Cambridge, it works really well for you, but I just, I don't believe in Cambridge, right? And in step three, what I'm making a decision to do is I'm making a decision to go to Cambridge. And I can make that decision and I'm not there. If I do not follow that de decision up with action, I have not actually made that decision. And so that's what I'm doing that third step. I gotta dive into this. But to make this decision, I gotta be convinced of something. 
And it says the first requirement is that we be convinced that any life run on self-will can hardly be a success. That me running my life does not work anymore. I don't know about you, but when I came to step one, my life was unmanageable. I managed it. And I managed my life into an unmanageable position. And just in the sake of time, what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna, I'm gonna summarize the metaphor that we see on 1661. See, on 1661, it's talking about how I'm, I'm like an actor. And imagine that this is a play, right? Now, I think the play is Romeo and Juliet. And some of you who have some memories from high school are like, Paige, that play does not end well. That is not, that is not, I know, I like the drama. You know what I mean? Yeah, nugget. Uh, <laughs> And so I'm tree number three. I think, I'm, I think I ought to be Juliet, but I'm tree number three. And so tree number three, I'm supposed to be off in the corner. I want to be center stage, but I mean, it's for everyone. I'm, I'm off in the corner, and I don't have the full script. I don't know how things are supposed to go. I don't know the lighting cues. I don't know the sound cues. I don't know where, where the props are supposed to be. You know when they put tape on the floor? I don't know what that's for. I don't know what that means but I'm gonna show up and I, wanna know, I want you to know I'm showing up with the best motives. I want the best for you. And I, with the best motives, I'm showing up and I'm telling you how to go. I'm telling you where to stand. I'm telling where you, you to where to move. And what are you doing? You're saying, don't tell me what to do. You don't know me. You don't know what's best for me. And so I, I exert myself more. See, I try to throw self upon self and self cannot overcome self. And it doesn't work. And so in the third step, what I'm deciding, see, if you've ever been on stage, even if it was for like a school pageant in elementary school, when the light is on you, the crowd is in darkness. And what I'm going to do is I am going to trust. What I'm going to do is I'm going to trust that in, in the center of the audience is the capital D director. And that director has the full script. He knows what things are supposed to go. He knows where it's supposed to, to end up. He knows the lighting cues. He knows the props. He knows what the little X's on the floor mean. He knows all of that. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to let the director be the director, and I am just going to follow my script. See, my script, I'm tree number three. What's my script? Well, it's way in the breeze, right? And who puts the breeze in the trees? What is my script as a recovered alcoholic? My script as a recovered alcoholic is to be an expression of God's love. And I cannot do that when I am wrapped in self. So my script is to go work these steps and be of service to others. That is what I'm called to do. Oh, does that make sense? Yes. Cool. And then, so I'm just going to point out, top of page 62, it says selfishness, self-centeredness. That, we think, is the root of our troubles. That was news. I don't know about you guys. That was news for me. Like, I came here... And like you guys are telling me selfishness, self-centeredness? I mean, I can see how that's the root of your troubles, but nah, nah, not for me. No, but selfishness, self-centeredness. And see, I didn't think I was selfish and I didn't think I was self-centered. See, I thought selfish and self-centered people came and we thought, I am so great, everyone loves me. And I did not, I, that was not who I was. I hated myself, I hated who I was, but all I was thinking was me, right? It says, that we think is the root of our troubles, driven by a hundred forms of fear, self-delusion, self-seeking, and self-pity. Has anyone here ever said, I took my will back and I started driving the bus? I got some news. I don't mean to call you out. You were lying. 
You were not driving the bus. See, I think I'm driving the bus. And I think, you know, I know I didn't do a great job with step one and, and managing my alcoholism, but I can do the rest of this life stuff. No, you know who's driving the bus? A hundred forms of fear, self-delusion, self-seeking, and self-pity. There is a madman at the wheel, right? We're going off a cliff whether I think so or not, right? <laughs> and it says we step on the toes of our fellows and they retaliate. You know, when I get into my resentments, my column two is their retaliation. My column four is me stepping on their toes. And it's sometimes, it says sometimes they hurt us seemingly without provocation. But we invariably, and invariably means pretty well always, find that at some point in the past we've made a decision based on self, which later put us in a position to be hurt. Now, if you're writing in your book or somebody else's book, you can make a note, step four, resentments, column four. Because we're going to come back to that as that is going to be one of the prompts that we're going to use in that, fourth, in that fourth column of resentments. Where did I make a selfish, self-centered, self-seeking decision that put me in a position to hate them in the first place? And man, that's illuminating. And I don't like it. Until, until I'm there. Like, but when, when someone's pointing it out to me, but when I'm like, yeah, there's, free, there's only freedom in being wrong. And so what we're going to do is we're, I'm just going to skip ahead to the bottom of page 62 just to be mindful of time. It says, this is the how and why of it. First of all, we had to quit playing God. So this is it on your little cards. Got your pink slip. It's the pink one. You guys got it? So now you're officially fired. Fired. You're officially and formally fired from the management of your life. Yeah. And again... And, and you have a look at the cause. Now, you let me know if you disagree with the cause. It says for gross incompetence, see step one for further amplification, right? I manage my life into an unmanageable position. I, if I had managed anything as atrociously as I had managed my life, I ought to be fired. I can no longer manage my life. And so what we see is in the third step, it's a deeper surrender. What we find is that I cannot, I cannot live in the sunlight of the spirit. I cannot live in that place of recovery. I cannot live in that place of neutrality, safe and protected, if I am wrapped in the bondage of self. And there is nothing that I can do in and of myself to overcome self. And I think I can. You know what I mean? And I don't think, I don't think always that I deserve that pink slip. But do you guys remember a couple years ago? <laughs> this is why there's the bat on the sticker. Do you guys remember a couple years ago when the bat got in the church? Oh, yeah. Was, yeah. So the, for those that don't know, there's a couple years ago, uh, I was on Zoom. Mike caught a fish. It was exciting. He was on a boat. Uh, not, in the, not in the church. There weren't yeah. fish in the church. <laughs> ah, I remember that. Yeah. And so a bat got in the church. <laughs> yeah. And the bat's <laughs> flying around the church, and people are waving and concerned about rabies. That's fair. That's a fair concern. It's reasonable. And some people are like, I don't care about rabies. Don't tell me what to do. I'm going to be in the church, right? I was on Zoom, so I had no opinion. Um, but the bat's in the church. And what I am on self-will is a bat in the church. See, I'm showing up, and, and, I, and I get myself into an impossible situation. And I can't get out of it. And I'm causing distress to the people around me. And that is drunk and that is sober on self. And I can't get out in all my avenues of escape. They don't seem to. I can't get out those windows. And I can't figure out what to do. I'm the bat in the church. And that is who I am on self-will. I have this other story. I have this other story about step three, which I'm going to tell because TJ told me very explicitly not to talk about this. <laughs> TJ. <laughs> and so um, when I was in the third grade, 
It's a story about conjunctivitis. This is why they're like, maybe don't. Maybe, maybe don't talk about conjunctivitis. That's pink eye. So when I, was in, when I was in the third grade, all of my friends, all of my friends got conjunctivitis. All of them. And I was the only one, I'm not getting the sympathy that I would like, I was the only one that did not get pink eye. Thank you, that's what I needed. I've absolutely transcended self-seeking. Um, <laughs> but I did not, I was the only one that did not get pink eye. And in that moment, what I thought I wanted more than anything, now I'm really grateful nobody explained to me how you got pink eye, so I didn't have any plans and designs to figure out the pink eye. But I was really, what I thought I knew I wanted was pink eye. And I could miss school just like my friends. And so often, I have spiritual conjunctivitis. You know what I mean? I can't see things for how they really are. And all I can see is what is immediately in front of me and what I want. And so oftentimes have what I need come as the result of not getting what I want. And so now we've got our pink slip. We are fired from the management position of our lives. And in step two, we were presented with the possibility of a new employer. So these are the ways in which we get to relate to God. Right? It talks about like God is going to be our director, capital D. He is the principal. We are his agents. A principal or an agent is somebody who is illegally allowed to go out in the world and work for a principal. So imagine that idea. These are just different ways of orientating ourselves to that power which I call God. So imagine I'm going out in the world and my job is to be a representative for God. That might change how I drive. That might change how I show up to family, right? But I also, I like reading it like double agent page, agent for God, pew pew, right? Double O, God, pew pew. Um, which is not what it means, but I think that's more fun. Uh, and it says he is the father, we are his children. So many of us don't have healthy relationships with our father. But imagine that place that we would turn to for love and comfort and guidance and support and strength. That is a way in which I can orientate. And this idea, this idea was the keystone of the triumphant arch through which we passed the to freedom. The keystone is that stone at the center of the arch. This idea that God is in charge and I am working for God is the idea that holds all the tension. And it says, when we sincerely took such a position, all sorts of remarkable things followed. We had a new employer, capital E. And so what, the, no, what we're now talking about is our employment contract. And don't you worry, I printed out one of those for you. So that's going to be page one on the eight. I know the size of paper. You know, when you think I might be cool, I know that is an A4 sheet of paper. So cool. But that is our employment contract. Because i got to be spiritually employed, right? And i got to work for God. So this is the employment contract. And we can see it in this book on page 63. It's the one with the white and the blue. Just if your pages got mixed up. It says, we had a new employer. Being all powerful, he provided what we needed if we kept close to him and performed his work well. What I want to point out is God will provide what I need. And without question, that has been my experience. I'll point out there's a difference between what I need and what I want. A lot of times it's a vast difference. You know what I mean? I remember having a call with Mary Jane one day and she was like, oh, sorry, I didn't know you needed that, you know? Right? There's a difference between what I need and what I want, but what I need, everything has been provided. And so it's like if I get a new job, 
and I start working at a company. They're going to give me an employment contract, and they're going to tell me what, what my salary is, whether I'm hourly wages or, or salary. We're going to get benefits. Maybe I got dental coverage and eyeglass coverage. You can tell I'm not that, I'm not that young because I'm real excited about the dental. You know what I mean? But maybe there's vacation. Maybe there's a retirement plan. Maybe there is stuff like that. And I want you to know in the spiritual life there is. Everything that I need will be provided for. Now, on that same employment contract, they ask some things that I need to do, some things that I need to do, how I work for God. So it says, it says, if we keep close to him and perform his work well, how do I keep close to God? Well, I keep close to God by working these steps as a way of life, like my life depends on it because it does. That is how I keep close to God. And what's God's work for somebody like me? What's to be of love and service? Very specifically, love and service to his drunks. Because I was created to be of service to them. You know, and I, I yeah, I might talk about the wheelchair thing. I might not. We'll see how this goes. Um, <laughs> sorry, I sometimes don't know what I'm going to say. Um, I'm sure that is a surprise to no one in the room at this point. Uh, but when I was 18 months sober, I very suddenly developed a neurological condition, which is why the wheelchair. And um, I, I struggled terribly with self-pity. Say I came out of the hospital and I hated myself and I hated my life. And I thought I knew what I needed and I thought this was not fair. What had happened to me? And then I went through a period that we go through where we started losing people in Alcoholics Anonymous. There was death after death after death. And funeral after funeral after funeral. And I couldn't see the point of it all. And there was one more death and one more funeral. And a, a friend of mine showed up or came to me in the way that God often does, with somebody needing my help. And he calls me up and says, Paige, I need you to come to this funeral. I need you to be there for me. And because you guys taught me well, I went. And that morning, while I was sitting in the chair waiting for my friend to come pick me up, there was a peace and serenity that I had never felt. There was utter stillness within my soul. I felt that connectedness. I go to the funeral and it was heartbreaking. It was, it was uh, a young man and, and one of the most tragic things is having to watch parents bury their child. And he died of our illness. And it was absolutely heartbreaking and it was hard and it was not easy being there. But as I was leaving the funeral, you know, so just real quick, one of the things I think I know what I think I need, I, I think I need conjunctivitis, but I think I need, I think I need to finish university, I think I need, I think I know what my life is supposed to look like, and it sure as heck is not supposed to look like this. It's not supposed to look like this. This isn't fair, and these are the things that I am absolutely convinced of, and as I leave that funeral, there's another woman who's in a wheelchair, and she comes up to me, and she says, I'm so glad you're here, because I don't feel so alone. That is God's will for somebody like me. I don't give, I don't, I don't, I don't care. I'm watching my language. I don't, yeah, I don't want to swear. I don't care about the nine to five. I don't care if I'm married. What I care about is I care about being of love and service to you. That is what I feel my calling is. I don't know what yours is. Probably to work with drunks if you're hanging out in this church basement. We kind of got to do that to stay alive and sober. But that is what, that is what my calling is. And in so doing, I've been given everything that I need, and it's almost never what I want. And so now we're at step three. And it talks about, many of us said to our maker as we understood him, I know I'm skipping around a little. God, I offer myself to thee to build with me and to do with me as thou wilt. Relieve me of the bondage of self that I may better do thy will. 
Take away my difficulties that victory over them may bear witness to those I would help with thy power, thy love, and thy way of life. May I do thy will always. And then what it's going to say, I'm skipping ahead a paragraph. It says, we found it very desirable to take the spiritual step with an understanding person. That's me. I'm an understanding person. We're going to take this step together today, such as our wife. That is not me. I mean, I don't think I was drinking out in Ontario. Um, So if I am married to anyone of you, please let me know. Um, That's not me. Such a best friend. That doesn't need to be me. I'm not that codependent. I don't need to be everyone's best friend. Uh, Or a spiritual advisor. Now, when I work with my sponsees, I'm like, that is me. That is my job in your life. My response, not my job in your life. Let me correct myself. My responsibility to you. And it says it is better to meet God alone than with one who might misunderstand. That is not me, so we're going to do this. And it says the wording was, of course, quite optional, so long as we express the idea of voicing it without reservation. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to take that third step prayer together. And we're going to say it together. Now, in my home group, now, I'm not going to make you guys do this because I never ask anyone to do something I can't do. And I can't get down on my knees because then I can't get back up. So you don't, you, we can stay in our chairs, you can do it however you want, but we're going to say the third step prayer together. And then what I'm going to ask, and is if there's anyone, and I, and I won't make anyone do anything, nobody is forced, if you want to say that prayer in your own words. And what I'll do is, to, again, to prove to you I'm not going to ask anyone to do anything that I have not done, I'll say it in my own words. So let's say that third step prayer together. And I'll start it with, who puts the breeze in the trees? God, I offer myself to thee, to build with me and to do with me as thou wilt. Relieve me of the bondage of self, that I may better do thy will. Take away my difficulties, that victory over them may be a witness to those who would help. Thy power, thy love, and thy way of life, may you do thy will just to prove that I'm not going to ask anyone to do anything that I haven't done. God, I pray that I would let go of my old ideas, that I would let go of my preconceived notions of what my life is to look like. I pray that I would be rigorous and fearless and searching as I go out from here to take these actions of these steps and to live this way of life. I pray that I would do as you would have me and that my heart and mind would be attuned to you that I would see those who need my help and that I would allow you to channel to work through me. I pray that when I face the difficulties of my life, I would do so with the eyes of how I can help others and be of love and service to them. God, guide me through this path, this way of life. Be with me as I take these actions. I have. And no pressure, but is there anyone who would like to do a third step prayer in their own words? I'll leave it for a moment. It'll be an awkward pause. And that's okay. And so what we're going to do, we're going to have a break. So it's not a great timing to like have the break right now because our next direction is next we launched. (laughs) And because what we're going to launch right into is pizza. So next we launched into a rigorous course of action. So when we come back, we're going to dive into that four-step, dive into some of those directions, and hopefully I'll be mindful of time. So thanks for letting me rock and roll.